random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Ladies and gentlemen, people, this is Johnny Romita Jr. I'm an artist. I'm drawing Spider-Man. Presently, I've done Spider-Man in the past. I've done Daredevil, the X-Men, and I've done a whole bunch of other stuff. And you are listening to The Marvelists with Peter Melnick and Eddie Wilson. The two of them look great in their tights and their uh, skin-tight boots, and you'll love to see them in person. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And joining us on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined with a man who has a gigantic amount of character and comic book credits under his belt. Large in, his, in stature. And such a, characters such as The Amazing Spider-Man, Daredevil, Superman, Batman, and, ladies and gentlemen, he is also the January 1985 Marvel Hunk of the Month. We are joined with... John Ramita Jr. John, good evening. That is really cruel to bring up something so long ago. You know, I get my, pardon me for saying this, my buns busted so often at conventions. People drop that thing in front of me, and I cringe. But, uh, hey, listen, I got suckered in by Jim Shooter. It was a practical joke, and it was a good one. It was an everlasting one, it seems. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Somebody just came up to me and said, listen, you want to pay him back? Let's do Senior Citizen Hunk of the Month. Oh. After I told them them to F off, uh, I laughed and said, that might not be a bad idea. People at least would laugh at me instead of thinking I'm that conceited. Well, if nothing else, John, I appreciate the the self-censorship on that, so thank you. (laughs) But, you know, it's a a moniker you proudly wear, I believe. Uh, Well, no, not really, but my wife laughs at me all the time whenever she sees that. Happy wife, happy life. There it is. There it is. I know that, too, and I'm just not too far behind you there but you know we're still in the same month at least anywho it's great again to be able to have you in here uh i want to say maybe from the beginning uh, your interest and maybe just following your father's footsteps with this kind of work and how it began Ooh, the uh against my father's better wishes he he did not want me to be a cartoonist he didn't mind me being an artist but he wanted me to be a fine artist as in painter or something or at least in advertising because he thought I had the personality for it but um, I saw him drawing all the time as a young kid and uh, when when the monsters were crawling out from underneath my bed I would run up you know the old Queens wooden stairs that you'd pull down from the ceiling and climb up the stairs and sit under his chair and uh, the monsters would go away and he was always there for me talking to me and then he started doing superhero books after doing romance comics all those years. And I saw him doing Daredevil number 12 uh, with Kazar and the Plunderer, and I was And from then on, he, according to him, he said from then on I was drawing. And I have that cover in my possession, and it uh, brings back wonderful memories and chokes me up whenever I look at it. Oh, absolutely, sure. Any early favorites that you were exposed to or you know, still remain or retain or you know, have a fondness for? Uh, images or, or books? What, uh, what do you think? Books, essentially, uh, and, and certain characters. It, it was all about Spider-Man because when I 
when I saw him doing Daredevil, it was a blind character. My head, the top of my head exploded, but I still had no grasp of it until he said to uh, to us, my brother and myself, as we were heading up to Connecticut to visit the grandparents, we were driving past a building. He said, that's where Peter Parker lives. What? <laughs> Holy crap. Spider-Man lives in New York because we, we had no, no concept. And from then on, I, I was hooked even further. And it's Spider-Man that is so vital to the family. It's almost like it's a member of the family, like a brother to me. And so it began. Yeah, I guess you could say it that way, yeah. Because from then on, I loved the character. And the way he explained it to my brother and I on occasions as we went to Connecticut, he, he would say the stories about, give us the stories about Stan jumping off the, the, the his desk and explaining how Spider-Man would look and uh, he would take notes. Stan never gave him a written plot. He would just voice it to my father, and my father would write notes down. And then sometimes on trips, he would say, you know, Stan asked me to do this. I don't know how I'm going to get past this. Now, whether he was seriously asking us our opinions or just trying to get us to not be bored, we would sit there and talk about how we get Spider-Man out of this position, out of that position. And we were all in. Well, at least I was. My brother less so because he was the brains of the two of us. And uh, I, I, I was hooked. I was hooked from the get-go. And that was it. I started drawing, and I started drawing. And as decent an athlete and as decent a student as I was, I was a better artist than both of the above, both of the before. Mm-hmm. So I had to do something in college, and I was a good artist, and I went to advertising illustration, uh, a, a advertising school, and I took advertising illustration as, a, as the curriculum and after the second year, I got work at Marvel, and that's it. I still haven't finished my degree. <laughs> From the information that I looked up, and I, I'm guessing it took a little while before you actually got to do a Spider-Man book, which I have as being Amazing Spider-Man 208. Is that that is correct? But I did a, a, a seven-page mess uh, called Chaos at the Coffee Bean, which was a backup story in, in one of the uh, annuals that Al Milgram saved. And uh, that was the first thing I ever did that was Spider-Man-esque, Spider-Man-oriented. It was a seven-page story. Uh, And then I did 208 years down the road. Yes. So when you got to that point, how, uh, I don't want to say it's full circle because it's early in your career, was it it where you were feeling, I finally got to draw my guy here? Uh, No, I was terrified, and that's all I thought of. (laughs) so intimidated and saying, my God, I'm, I'm terrible. Everybody else is so much better than me. And that's the truth. I was terrified. And the fact that uh, I, I got past it without having a heart attack um, was amazing. And then somebody, a couple of people liked it. Mostly everybody disliked it, but it got by. And uh, listen, I, I, you do something every day for 12 hours a day but for a million years. You have to get better or you're a moron. So everybody that's in this business improved over time, including me. When it comes to the construction of drawing a Spider-Man illustration, what are like some of the key components that the, you know, a person wanting to draw Spider-Man should do that you've learned over the years? Awkwardness. And I say that because those were the words that came out of Stan's mouth. He, he called Daredevil the graceful superhero and Spider-Man the awkward one. And it was a little bit of a metaphor because the character, Peter Parker, was a, an awkward teenager. And he wanted that reflected in the way the character Spider-Man looked, other than the fact that a spider is awkward-looking with bony, spiny legs, etc. But Daredevil was balletic, and Spider-Man was awkward, and that's the word. Uh, he was awkward physically and awkward uh, uh, mentally and emotionally, because he was a kid. 
And you've been able to draw both of the characters in your career, you know, with the iconic run with yourself and Annie Nascenti, as well as yeah. all the different versions that you've done over time with Spider-Man. And it's okay. it's just cool to see, to be able to see Spider-Man also be the character that you keep coming back to, and every time there's something new that you bring to the character. Uh, that that has to only be because of a, a life experience and improvement as an artist. You can't not get better. And then as time passes, you have life experiences. You buy different things. You you move to a different city. You buy clothes. You just go out. You go to different restaurants. You experience life. And that has to be added to what you do. And that's what happens, just out of sheer life experiences. And then adding characters that have come up with, uh, that, that come up, into your mind because of life experiences. Uh, a dear friend of mine passed away many, many years ago. I, I came up with a character based on him. Two guys that grew up with my parents, Chuggy and Bimbo, based on uh, 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 characters based on these two guys that were real live people back in the 40s. Uh, the, the, the character Shotgun that was in Daredevil is based on a song that I loved as a, as a young guy called Shotgun by Junior Walker and the All-Stars. Little things like that based in reality Combine with fantasy, because I'll never forget Stan Lee telling my father, and I was listening, you have to combine fantasy and reality in just the right amount. If you do it wrong, then people will beg for the other one. If you do it just right, well, people will just nod their heads and love it. And that's what I base uh, a lot of new characters and new situations on is life experiences. I think I will now forever associate the song Shotgun with you, what your story was there. And, and now listen, you're not supposed to tell anybody this, but Shotgun's coming back. I get to redesign him and bring him back into the, to, uh, a series, and I can't tell you which one. Mm -hmm. Oh, shit, you already know. Sorry. <laughs> I can't lie. Well, did you have the same amount of trepidation or fear, anxiety, all the above, when you started with it looks like your first um, Iron Man issues, which I believe is where I first came into that character and, and getting that, and also that Marvel Super Special with Kiss? Yes. Yes and yes. Mm -hmm. I've always been nervous about... Uh, when I start on a job, uh, then I'm going to fail. You know, the, you know the expression from Scott Carpenter, the astronaut, first time he was going up in space, oh, Lord, please don't let me F this up. I had the same amount of trepidation, the same feeling when I'm starting on something. The Kiss book, at least I was a little more experienced. Iron Man, it was, again, fresh. I think that was the first complete title I ever did uh, was Iron Man 115, so I was really nervous. But uh, there's no choice. You either get it done or you don't. And uh, I managed to get by. And, again, it, it seems like a billion years ago, but uh, I, I don't remember how I got past it because I was so scared. And, of course, everybody hated me because I, was my I had my father's last name, and they thought I was, uh, I was leaning on him. And people would say to me, uh, you know, we know you're only in this because of your father, and we know you really aren't that good. Matter of fact, you suck. But... You're in here. And I said, Ma, you can't talk to me like that. Why do you speak to me like that in front of other people? Uh, all seriousness aside, I did get treated pretty poorly by people who thought I was counting, relying on my father's name. It's the truth. To uh, he, him carrying you through this, perhaps, yeah. And if I hit it, if I flooded everybody that deserved it, I'd still be in jail, I think, at this point. Mm -hmm. And what is the biggest bit of advice that your father has given you in regards to the creation of comics uh it's not it's not specific to the creation of comics although it applies to it when he said to me uh, and listen it's a great segue from what i was saying about getting treated poorly by the people that thought i was capitalizing on my father 
he said to me, first, keep your hands in your pockets, your mouth shut, and do your job, and then shut everybody else up by doing that well. Then he said, deal with this kid because there's always somebody bigger, better, stronger, smarter, better looking, and a better artist than you. Well, not, not the better looking part. Forget that part. Anyway, he said, <laughs> let's get you to all these people being better than you in every way. And instead of getting upset over it, use it and get better and make them regret they ever said anything to you. And then show them that you're better than them. And that was the advice. And it always stuck with me. Man, man is brilliant. And uh, even if he didn't know he was passing that kind of uh, uh, eloquence and intelligence on to me and my brother, it stuck with me because there was, there was somebody bigger, better, stronger, and smarter. And the art thing, I had a control over it. I couldn't get it to be a better athlete. I was only a certain size. It was a hell of a shortstop. He taught me how to hit a curveball, too, by the way. Uh, but I was always able to get better as an artist. I wasn't able to get bigger, stronger, and faster. So that advice really stuck with me. And um, to this day, I still use it because I don't think I'm as good as I can be someday. Take us back, Johnny, if you will, to 1969. And oh, the, shit. And the, <laughs> and the Prowler. Yeah. I had, that was when I was drawing just for the sake of drawing because my father was, uh, he had turned me into a fan and I was just drawing. I'd sit at his feet and draw. And um, <clears throat> when I got back from school, I'd get everything done and then I would start to draw. And it was this prototypical skin-tight costume character and the mask was completely covering the face because I couldn't draw anybody. And I, the name just came upon me because I think in the neighborhood we were at, which was not a great neighborhood, there were literally, there were prowlers. Mm -hmm. And I came up with the name because of that. And uh, my mother was saying, telling my father, no, just show everybody up at the office. You know, show Stan. Stan will laugh. Stan loved it, but he hated the artwork. He says, I hate the artwork, but I love the name. Let's use it. As quickly as that, that was it. And then I got my credit in the front of the book. And uh, that summer of 1969, when we landed on the moon or whatever, not land, whatever we did in 69, I think it was the landing on the moon, that was secondary to doing the Prowler. Well, you had Woodstock also, you know. There you go. There you go. And the Mets won the World Series. That's yeah. Right. Okay. What is it like the first time you saw the uh, animated version of Prowler for Into the Spider-Verse? I got, I got giddy. I really did because it brought me brought back brought me back to that age, and and uh, and I couldn't even explain to my friends what I had done because nobody was really that uh, familiar or excited about the comic books until years later, and uh, and then even then I couldn't say, hey, guys, look what I did! I created this character because you you don't brag in Queens, <laughs> you shut your mouth and you play ball. That's it. But and it was fun. And seeing the animated thing was. It, it really brought back the memories, and that's about it. Another character I saw you had some uh, input with was the creation of Dazzler. How'd that come about? Uh, back back in that time uh, were clubs, and people were going to clubs, and I was going to a lot of them. And literally they come up to me and said, listen, you go to a lot of clubs, you know a lot of club girls. We want to create a light-based superheroine. And she's called the Dazzler, and she's got to be a club girl. And uh, the first club girl we all saw in Manhattan back in the day was Grace Jones. And uh, the character sheet was Grace Jones in the Dazzler costume. And that was it. They were all excited. 
and uh, then um, Bogart, I forgot, Neil Bogart, the producer, was going to do a film. And uh, at that time, the movie 10 came out, and uh, Bo Derek was the biggest star on the planet, and he said, sorry, it's got to be Bo Derek. So it went from, from being Grace Jones, who was a neighborhood chick, so to speak, and a club girl, it went from her, suddenly this uh, blonde-haired, blue-eyed surfer chick, which was unfortunate because I really loved Grace Jones at that time. I thought it was great. Well, that was the same year then that she had a radio hit, uh, Pull Up to the Bumper, a great song. Exactly right. She was a star, a big music star. Exactly right. And when I meet her, I'm going to show her that character sheet, and I want to hear what she has to say. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice, or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. And when it comes to the character of Dazzler, I feel like Dazzler might be one of the riskiest costumes that someone can replicate for cosplay because there's so many hazards potentially with the <laughs> rollerblades. Well, that's true of all superhero costumes. None of them make sense. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? In that time, there were no roller blades. It was a regular roller skate. Well, sorry, know. roller skate. Sorry. You had the uh, the the uh, the foot stop uh, on the front of the skate, that kind of thing. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and of course, the disco ball around the neck. You know, yeah. all of that stuff. But it was all light oriented. That's why we did it. And of course, you know, with Dazzler being a member of the Merry Marvel Mutants, we also have to acknowledge the impact you had in the 1980s with Chris Claremont on the X Men. Yeah, and Chris turned, let me tell you, Chris turned the Dazzler into a much better character than what I had come up with, uh, which is just great. She's a great character because of being a mutant and because of Chris. Uh, but, yeah, joining, joining the X-Men, I'll never forget the words of John Byrne when I got on the book, and he said to me, you'll be fried in three years. In other words, a group, group book will kick anybody's ass. And when it comes to... He, oh. he was all supportive. Good man, John, John Byrne. He and I are good friends. And when it comes to the uh, X-Men, a uh, friend of the show, Shane Hagedorn, asks the following question pertaining to the X-Men. Do you have a favorite iteration of the team? Uh, oh, man, that's cold. <laughs> uh, I don't, because there have been many, and they're all good. But when, when Wolverine started, that's when, when Cockrum and, and, and that group started, I think that's when things really took off. It was great at the beginning, but when it became what it became with Chris and Cockrum, I think that's when things really got everybody's attention. And when it comes to that era of the X-Men, you're responsible for a number of iconic covers from that era. It's kind of cool to see how many of them have lasted the amount of time that they have and continue to be a dynamic image. All right, I got lucky. <laughs> that's what it is. 
pure luck. Look, look, look in, in all humility, and you can ask any artist that has humility left in them, everything we do in groups of my age, it's derivative because there were geniuses before us. And, and coming up with a new image in comics is like coming up with a new melody. How, how do you come up with a new melody? How many billions of songs and melodies have there been? It's the same thing with us. You have to do something that's never been done before. Get the flock out of here. You can't do that. <laughs> However, you can vary on it. And in deference to the original, the originators of those images, you can sometimes get lucky. And that's what I did. And how flattering can it be when you end up seeing a cover of yours get the homage? Like, I remember uh, there was an issue of Deadpool where all of the characters are like these cloned zombie-looking things, and it's the one cover where you have, like, the uh, all the different X-Men together. Like, some of them, their backs are turned, but, like, side profiles. Great-looking yeah. cover. And then, the, you know, you see the homages. Yeah, that's fun. That is fun. And, and again, I can't ever look myself in the mirror and say, wow, you really nailed it that time. Uh Maybe, maybe with Man Without Fear with Frank, I can take stand on a, on, a, on a chair and say, I really knocked it out of the park that time. But everything else, like I said, everything else is derivative. And I, I, I stand on the, the shoulders of giants, and that's all there is to it. And now speaking especially of... The, especially the old man that's living in Queens right now. And now speaking of Frank Miller, uh, Shane Hagdorn has another question. What was the Daredevil process like working with Frank? Uh, he gave me a couple of pages of uh, notes, a plot, and said, knock yourself out, have fun. Quite literally, the words come out of his mouth like that, because he and I started his art around the same time, and it was the Marvel way. And what he does is, his it's not a script, it's a plot with dialogue. And he'll give me a, a paragraph that'll give him ten pages of artwork, or he'll give me five pages of dialogue that will be important and in, 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 um lead to a scene by itself. So it's that give and take. He and I worked together very well, and that's the way it was Man Without Fear. It was just he let me play. And he did the same thing with Superman, year one. It was 15 pages of, of plot to 200 pages of artwork. And that's the way I like to work, just let me play. And his, his plot on Man Without Fear was genius, and it let me get, it, it let me do some good work, and I'm very proud of that. Are there any characters, John, that you, given your choices, you would like to do, haven't done yet before? Yeah, uh, I would love to do Doctor Strange. Mm -hmm. I really would. I would love Daredevil again because I had a great time doing it. Uh, but man, if I had a choice, man, oh, man, would I love to do Doctor Strange just because I could get crazy. I really could get crazy. I'd get the right writer and do some seriously crazy stuff. I would love to. I know uh, Frank Miller has gone on record saying he wants to return to Daredevil at least once in his career, and I would love to see that happen. <laughs> I would love it. That would be kind of cool. Now, if, only could, if we could get Al Williamson out of the grave, we would be in good shape. But uh, there's some brilliant ink artists that I would work with. Love to do it again. Would love to work with Frank on Man Without Fear again or the Daredevil Project again. That would be great. You got any particular but, uh, favorites I with Al Williamson? I'm sorry? You got any particular favorite uh, illustrator work from Al Williamson, by the way? Because I love his work, too. Outside, outside of the Daredevil stuff we did? Yeah. Every, his illustration style is just genius. Loved everything he did. And I had no idea. I asked him to his face, what are you doing with my, why are you working with me? He <laughs> said, are you kidding me? You, do, you give me everything. I just trace over you. That's how good a man he was. He was full of shit, but he was good. He just brilliant. <laughs> 
I, I, I couldn't even point to everything he got. I got stuff back in books up in my closet. He's genius. He and J.C. Liondecker and, and the Wyatts and Gibsons, the illustrators that I grew up on, I think the illustrators that my father grew up on, fantastic work. Genius, genius artist. Couple made, of the... me look good. made me look really good on Daredevil. Mm. John, a couple of the questions regarding Spider-Man. One, of course, being the one you're on now, Scott Hanna All right. and the team there. How far ahead are you with um, storyline, et cetera, or have uh, to be? Well, I'm about to start issue 14. Gotcha. So that's uh, hopefully going to be an ongoing thing, and now, you know, back yeah, into the, that groove. It pays the electric bill. I'm a happy man. I thought of also, too, and they put them in two-volume two hardcover-bound uh, this is a little aside, but the Spider-Man Daily newspaper strips. I assume maybe it's a different process that one in general would have to do because you're just talking about four panels a day, possibly, or you do, or do you plot out a whole story and then you just cut it up? Uh, I take the the plot, the, the, the script, and I start making notes in the, in the, the borders of what I'm going to do with the the artwork. It's my own little formula. I write notes. They're called. I, they're jokingly called thumbnails because artists are known to do little thumbnail drawings in on their scripts that lead them to do the, the artwork on the pages. But I write notes to myself. Uh, this character is off the left side, foreground, from behind, extreme foreground, Spider-Man in the, in the background. These are the notes I literally write in the borders of the script, on the plot. And then I get to go write, I get the page out, and I know exactly what I want to do just by what I've written myself the previous day when I when I do the whole pacing of the story, the whole book. I write out the whole thing, and then I get right to the page. And, you know, when it comes to your Spider-Man, the Spider-Man is very iconic. I, I recently tweeted about how much of a fan I am of your work, and somebody replied back with, John, Spider, uh, John Spidey is the one I see in my head whenever t- uh, talking about Spidey comics. For a long time as a kid, uh, John Romita Jr.'s Spidey was everywhere, and it has stuck with me. That comes from Chris Farrell, and... When I think of your work, I always think of that early 2000s stuff, and there's just something special and dynamic about it. And, you know, the work you I, did with John uh, John Michael S., last name that I can never pronounce properly. Shizinski, J. Michael Straczynski, Joseph. Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something. That's why it was such brilliant stuff, because of, uh, listen, he, he gave me chances to do great stuff, uh, including the 9-11 issue, which to me is uh, standalone. Unfortunately, for the wrong reason, but standalone is genius. Yeah. Um, Joe gave me a chance to do some great stuff. Scott followed it up. Yeah, there was a run in the 2000s, even before I got on with, with uh, JMS. Uh, there were some great storylines that I got to work with. And I got to work with Klaus as well as Scott. But uh, I've been very fortunate to work with genius writers and brilliant art uh, ink artists. And I have to admit that the, the run, and that included that, 90, that uh, 36 issue and the, uh, the 9-11 issue and um, again, I can't pick that book up without choking up, and it's something that I'll always be proud of, unfortunately. But um, beyond politics, if I had to choose one, it would be that, that Man Without Fear. Any other work, John, that's uh, in the works that you can talk about, or how? Uh, what other things are keeping you busy, whether it be other characters, titles, or maybe other interests that's going on with you? Uh, I have creator-owned properties that I'm working on. And um, I'm doing some side works that I can't discuss at the moment, but Schmuggy and Bimbo is one of them. And I'm seven or eight years late on the third issue, and i got to get that done. 
it's also important to me because it was based on characters that grew up with my parents. And uh, Howard Chaikin has been more than patient. He turned it into a brilliant uh, story. I gave him the, the treatment. He turned it into a brilliant story with the dialogue and everything. And uh, I'm very proud of it when I finish it. If I ever finish it, hopefully before I die. Now, one of the uh, you were known for years and years as a Marvel guy, and then in the uh, 2010s, you ended up making the jump over to the Distinguished Competition. Actually, I think it was 2014, but that's okay. That's all right. And one of my favorite things about that is how you came in and you were able to be dynamic over at uh, DC and doing all these great stories, these unique stories involving the flagship characters. And were there any characters there that you wanted to work on? I only wanted to get to, to Wonder Woman because that would have been the, the three, the top three. And I never got a chance to do it, but I would love to have gotten to her so I could say that I did the first three, uh, the, you know, the top three books of that uh, company. I didn't get a chance. Uh, but the, other than those three, I don't know which, who I would have chosen. Um, and I don't know, maybe the Metal Men, because the very first comic book I ever saw on the floor of a barbershop in Queens was a Metal Men. So maybe that would have been a, would have done that. I don't know. And it probably didn't have a cover. <laughs> you know, you're right. It was beat up and chewed up. Exactly right. I remember them being on the in the com- in the barbershop also. Yeah. <laughs> if I may, you would have made a great Green Lantern artist. And for some reason, I'm picturing a Kyle Rayner Green Lantern in my head right now with your style, and I would love to see that. Never thought of it. Never thought of Green Lantern. I don't know why. Um, but uh, I, like I said, the, the, the even Superman wasn't that high on my list, but I was a Batman guy. But um, I don't think I had ever come to the thought of doing Green Lantern. It was maybe Hawkman because we loved birds back then. I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I couldn't think beyond the three. And one, one other thing in regards to your illustration style, I love seeing whenever you play with rain. And I want to know how you get that done. <laughs> Like, the electric cover is gorgeous. The ink artists hate my guts because I've done so many rain scenes. (laughs) But having Scott and Klaus turn them into beautiful pieces of artwork, because they are artists before they're ink artists. Scott and I uh, have done so many, and Klaus and I have done so many. Uh, Danny Mickey and I have done so many. I love, and this goes back to when we were kids, when my father, when it rained outside, we couldn't go out and play ball. We would watch a movie, and it was the Philip Marlowe type of high-collar, big big hat over the head, and rain dripping down the brim. That kind of film noir stuff that stuck in my mind because he told us this was great stuff, and it always stuck with me. And the thought of the rain showing the mood, and you you know, getting mood in comics is not an easy thing to do. And sometimes the the exteriors will do that for you, and the externals with the rain is what does it. So it, that means it can't be all in a character's facial expression. It has to be more than just that, is what you're saying? Yeah, well said. Well put, yeah. For lack of a, a better way of me putting it. Yes, exactly right. You, your, your exteriors, your externals, uh, sometimes will get the mood in where our face can't always convey it. However, you have to be a part-time actor to get good expressions in. So then you add the rain, you do a little bit of shading, and suddenly you have a moody moment. Yep. Any, uh, any other type of uh, pointers? For aspiring artists that you've been asked before, panels or otherwise, that you would be able to pass on? Uh, pointers. The, the only thing I can think of is make sure that you are 
adept at every tool in your quiver because if you don't and you have to rely on going back to learning how to draw the figure, the human figure or, or cities, if you have to rely on those small things, then you lose track of the story. Storytelling is intrinsic. And uh, I, I think that the artwork to me is secondary because I'm a better storyteller than I am an artist. There's so many better draftsmen than me in the business. But I like, to, I like to think I'm as good a storyteller as anybody else. And I think that's important. And that's the tip. Learn how to tell a story. Don't shy away from any scene. I don't care how difficult it is. Uh, uh, pull back. Show a million and one uh, buildings and, and the, 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 the windows and people in the windows and, and that kind of thing. Make sure that it's legitimate and it's part of the story. That's the advice. What about uh, teaching component? Have you been asked? Would you con- have you considered teaching some uh, that we've spoken to do that also a little bit on the side? And the one name is escaping me, but the Kubert School. Besides, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there was another interview that we had had, and uh... I forgot. I'm too shy to teach. I can't. I'm, I'm afraid to get in front of people and talk. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> I, I honestly have not been asked to do that, mm-hmm. and I don't know if I would, uh, because I feel like it's. I have to expand horizons and not get it specific to me. I don't want it to be about me. And uh, the Cubit boys are doing a great job with their father's uh, business, and I hope it works continually. Uh, I don't know if they're ever going to ask me, but if it ever happens, I'll make a speech, but I don't know if I would ever teach. Nice. Nice rhyme. <laughs> so now in regards to... Just what's next? What is next with uh, the amazing, the spectacular, the Marvel team up, the web of Even. Spider-Man for yourself? I can't. I can't get into story. I can just tell you that uh, Zeb Wells is, is brilliant, and I got Scott and Marcio, and uh, we are having fun still. The book is doing well. The stories are fun, and honestly, what's after that? I see. I, I promised I would keep my mouth shut, and that's not an easy thing for a, a guinea from Queens to do. <laughs> It really isn't, but I'm supposed to keep my mouth shut and, and let it happen instead of telling people what's going to happen. But I have side projects I'm going to do, uh, and they will appear soon, and i got create our own that I'm, I'm going to try and do, and uh, I also have some film ideas that might happen. See, they're all possibilities, and uh, I'm hoping that someday uh, one of them will hit, and then I'll have had three films developed, one, the two kick-ass films, and this will be a third. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You never say never. And then as far as getting out, we've started to see out in shows at cons and stuff and uh, more of that in the foreseeable future for yourself? Sure, why not? I, I, I missed shows. I really did. I didn't dislike them to begin with, but once COVID hit, it made everybody miss uh, the shows. But meeting people that read these, these titles uh, and just come and smile and they bring their kids or the kids come up, and they smile and they say all the wonderful things and they all shake hands and they smile and then they do this, the hand sterilizer after because of COVID. <laughs> uh, all of the good stuff. Uh, but people are wonderful and I get to see old friends at conventions, etc. Love every minute of it and I, I, my, even my wife enjoys it. We just, you know, we have a good time. And are there any particular, like, favorite memories you've had with meeting fans? Like, one moment, you know, stood out over all the others? Yeah. Gene Simmons was one. Hmm up to me and said, you know, you, you did make a good job on me in the, uh, in the book. And uh, he said, let's go out and have a drink. He says, I don't drink, but let's go out anyway. And he took me to a strip club in San Diego. And 
borrowed sixty bucks from me because he didn't have any cash on him. I gave him three twenties. He put it, he put it in three shoes of three dancers and then disappeared. Never saw him again. Well, at least he didn't keep it for one person to get to three. That's good. There you go. And, and he owes me sixty bucks. Uh, but also, I got a chance to meet John Mayall. I got a, John Mayall, who's one of my favorite blues performers. Um, I got a chance to meet uh, a couple of actors, uh, Ed O'Ross and and uh, 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 Brad Pitt, when we did Kick Ass, who was uh, who was paying way too much attention to my wife Kathy. And, uh, and I walked up to him. I said, "Do I get a chance to hang out with your wife?" He said, "No, she's wor- she's working in Italy right now." But you're, you're not the only guy that asked that question. I said, all right, well, have fun with my wife, but when I meet your wife, I'm going to tell her exactly what you said. And he was a, he was a good guy, a real good guy. John Leguizamo, you get a chance to meet these great, great celebrities and actors who are familiar with what you do, but still ask the right question. Nicolas Cage, it's fun. It really is fun. I don't think you do it as a drudgery, so, yeah, it's good that, that you get that. And, again, going back to the fans, I, I think of that as some kind of payoff for, you know, of course, you get a paycheck for doing this. You're employed. You keep working. That's great. But seeing the smiles, the reactions, the comments is always a, a heartening thing. It, it, it truly is. It truly is. And I get the smiles from them. And uh, I think that's as important as anything else. Now, I mean, I, I am smiling because of them. That's what I meant. You, no, we get that. Yeah, absolutely. With respect to the music, though, were blues the type of music that was in the house growing up, or you discovered it? What you know, other types of music you fond of? I was uh, I was a fan of R and B as a kid in the '60s and '70s, all soul. And uh, and then my brother was a fan of rock and roll, but he liked specific rock and roll. He liked bluesy rock and roll. I didn't understand it. And then as time passed, I went to Chicago for business. Uh, I, I lived in Chicago for a year. And I got to enjoy local clubs, the Buddy Guy Club and B.B. King's Club. And I got a chance to understand that uh, the blues had a baby and they, and they named it rock and roll. And that was where music began with the blues. And then soul and R&B and blues ultimately molded into one gigantic file in my phone. I got about 5,000 songs, bluesy, R&B, goes back to to uh, uh, Johnny B. Good and... and uh, Everything you can imagine, and not even not even the Beatles until about maybe a thousand songs into it. Then one or two Beatles songs, but I was all about R and B and blues. So always we, was. We can throw Motown in there as well, I guess. Oh God, oh God, yes. We one of the first albums ever bought. Sixty four greatest hits of Motown. Absolutely. That sounds like a four album set that I think <laughs> I even had. <laughs> and one I from saw, the fifties at rock and roll. That. I saw the Temptations of the Four Tops about five times. I've seen the Gap Band three or four times. Uh, uh, Earth, Wind, and Fire I saw. B.B. Uh, King I've seen three times. I saw Buddy Guy two or three times. Just that music just makes me melt. I love every second of it. So we're talking like not necessarily just your local area, let's say the New York, greater New York area, whatever, but uh, other parts around the country? Yes, definitely, definitely, yes. Yeah, we've had similar... In our neck of the woods, in the Catskills of, of upstate New York, because we have a wonderful venue called Bethel Woods. Okay. All right. I've seen uh, Buddy Guy uh, Bethel Woods before, and that was one of the most entertaining shows, how he can play guitar and how he does it. Uh, and at the age, he just released a new album. The man's 84 years old, mm. just released a new album. Fantastic. He played guitar with his tuchus when I went to the show. I was like kind of <laughs> impressed. 
<laughs> it's not as impressive as when I saw Billy Joel play the piano with his ass as well, and I was just like, wow. Oh, <laughs> never thought about it. Uh, John, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you. And before we go, by the way, I hear you're going to be at the New York Funny Book Fair, New York uh, Comic Con, October yeah. uh, what days? Kind of? I believe, believe it is, 6th through the 9th, I think. Yep, that is correct. I guess maybe he was either asking that or which days you're scheduled to show. <laughs> don't I don't know. I think I'm going to be at least Saturday and Sunday. I just don't know what the hours are. And um, we'll see. My wife and I are going to hang in Manhattan for a couple of days, and we'll see if I can do more than – I don't think I can do more than Saturday and Sunday. I think it's just going to be that. All right. Uh, by the way, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Because I hear you're on there now. I, You know what? I, I My son has helped me out with those. I have – uh, Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, just John Romita Jr. related in some way, shape, or form is the is the, uh, the way to get to it. Uh, I don't have enough time to answer all the questions, but my sons help me out, and they send me stuff, and I try to answer questions. If I may, I'd love to see uh, you on YouTube or uh, TikTok doing, like, you know, videos on how, showing, like, different elements of how to draw, like, watching your process. It'd be phenomenal to watch. Fun. I just, I would bored, it would people be going to sleep in min- minutes if they did that? I don't know. I would do it in seconds, but I, I don't know. Let's see. Let me know. Let's talk about it. You do it in parts. Do it in five-minute increments, maybe. I don't know. I don't know if I could take myself seriously, but it would be fun. Again, John, many, many thanks. Congratulations on all these years in your career, and uh, we're looking forward to see what else is coming down the road. Guys, thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. This is John Romita Jr. signing off. And listen, you guys out there listening, listen to these two guys. Melnick and Wilson, it's, it's like a, a law firm in Manhattan. you got to listen to these two guys. They're great. The Marvelous, do it. For the Marvelous, that's, that's a ringing endorsement. I love it. So do the regular ending now. <laughs> For the Marvelous, I'm Peter Melnick. Yeah, and I'm John Romita Jr. I wear his clothes. I have to be him. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior.